Well, I appreciate Pastor Bill's message about uh, encouragement that God gives us and the strength that we have through Jesus Christ, just like Popeye had his strength with his spinach. <laughs> we derive our strength from Jesus. You know, our country continues to go through uh, a period of time now where a lot of people are despondent, a lot of people are discouraged, a lot of people are concerned about the future. Uh, we seem to still be in the uh, stages of the pandemic, whether in our country or in other countries around the world. And a lot of people have gotten down and uh, depressed about that. But we can be reassured that God has matters in hand and uh, we continue to look to him. And he gives us encouragement today. Uh, I'd like to ask a question of you all. How can you know for sure that you are saved? How can you know for sure that you are saved? You know, many Christians down throughout history have written about their personal struggles and doubts about their faith and about their belief, about being assured of their salvation. And maybe from time to time we have had similar thoughts. You know, is this really real? Am I really a Christian? Am I really going to make it into my heavenly reward? You know, the problem of a lot of people who have doubts is that those who doubt have looked for assurance of salvation in the wrong places. We often seek assurance of our salvation in things like our own personal spiritual growth, in the good works that we perform, or in our obedience to God's word as we study his word from the Bible. And while these things can be an evidence of salvation, they're not what we should base the assurance of our salvation on. Because let, let's face it, you know, as, as we kind of keep score of our spiritual growth, we have good days and bad days. We have days where we seem to make a couple steps in progress in dealing with sin or doing good works or praying or studying. But then there are other days where we seem to forget about doing things like that or maybe we don't have the opportunities to do it and we tend to get a little bit down thinking, boy, we're not, I'm not making much progress in my life. So you see, that's not the basis of deciding whether we're saved or not. We find the assurance of salvation in God's word. You know, our lives fluctuate, spiritually speaking. Like I said, we have good days and bad days. We take steps forward, we take steps backward. That's not where we find our assurance of salvation. We find assurance of salvation in the truth of God's word. And we should have confident trust we are saved based on the promises that God has declared to us, not because of how we feel we're doing compared to other Christians. And that's another reason we get down on ourselves. If we see a fellow Christian doing a lot of good works and really making a difference in their neighborhood, uh, spiritually speaking, and we think, well, I'm not doing much of that at all. And, and you know, maybe I'm not as good or, or maybe I'm not going to make it. Turn with me to 1 John, the epistle of John, toward the back of your Bible. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11. In other words, we're looking for assurance of our salvation. We want to have confidence in the fact that we're going to make it. In fact, we already have made it. 1 John 5, beginning in verse 11. 
John writes, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. So notice he doesn't say God may give us eternal life. And if we, we, we match up to God's expectations of us, we could have eternal life. Notice how definitely he says this. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. Not just physical, earthly life, but he's talking about eternal life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that very encouraging. What God is giving us here through John is assurance. He's giving us confidence. He's giving us something that we can count on so that we don't have to question ourselves as to whether we're going to make it or not. We don't have to compare ourselves to others to see you know, who is better than others as far as being a Christian is concerned. So who is it that has the Son John tells us in the Gospel of John, it's those who believe in him. So do you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God? Do you believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and that he rose again from the dead? If you believe those things, you have the Son, from what John is saying here. And if you have the Son, he says, you have eternal life. It's not that you may get it, if things work out just right, if you're lucky enough, no, you have eternal life. If you have Jesus, you have life. Not only temporary physical life, but eternal life. And God wants you to live in confidence concerning your salvation. Not wondering or worrying each day whether you're going to make it or not. So if your answer to those questions, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died to pay the penalty for your sins and rose again from the dead, do you trust him alone for your salvation? If your answer to these questions is yes, you are saved. Turn with me to John chapter 10 and verse 27. Jesus himself said something along the same line, something very encouraging. God does not want us to have doubts about our future. And Jesus encouraged his disciples and he encourages us with the same words. John 10 and verse 27. He's talking about his followers here, of which we're a part. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So if you consider that sometime in the distant past, even before you were born, God the Father 
knew you personally in advance, and he chose you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And as you were born and grew up, you were given the opportunity to hear the gospel. And sure enough, you who are sitting here listening to me heard that gospel message and responded to it. You realized that you were a sinner and that you needed help. You needed a savior because you found out that the wages of sin is death. And none of us want to face death as the penalty for our sins. So we made a decision to believe Jesus Christ and to accept him as our personal savior. So that's something that God the Father knew about long, long, long before we were born. Because he knows everything even before it happens. So by our decision, we became followers of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus said here, nobody can take us out of his hands. And certainly nobody can take us out of the Father's hands because the Father is stronger than everybody. He's even stronger than Popeye. He'll never let us go. He promises. So you see, our security is in the power of our shepherd, Jesus Christ, who will not let anyone take us from him. And the Father's hand is more powerful than that of any enemy, including Satan, making the sheep completely secure. Now that's the truth from God's word. So you see, our assurance isn't based on how we feel about ourselves from day to day. Because some days we feel really good about ourselves and some days we're down on ourselves. And we just fluctuate back and forth all the time. So our assurance on salvation isn't based on how we might feel upon ourselves, about ourselves from day to day. Our assurance of salvation is based on God's promises and on God's word. And that's encouraging. And that's what God wants you to feel. You know, he has called you to salvation in his son, Jesus Christ, and he doesn't want you to worry about it. Now, certainly, as we live our lives from day to day, there are battles that we're fighting. And as I said, some days we're successful and some days we don't seem so successful. We're battling against Satan. We're battling against society around us. And we're battling against ourselves and our own human nature. And when you add up the score at the end of the day, Sometimes we're ahead, and sometimes we seem to be behind. But the assurance of our salvation is not based on that sort of thing. It is based on the promises of God's word. And I don't know about you, but as we go through some of these scriptures, I'm very encouraged. Because these promises are very strong. They're promises from God. And our salvation is not based on our day-to-day performance. It's based on what God has accomplished for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Now in Hebrews chapter 10, let's turn there. It's a very encouraging passage. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. We don't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Could have been Paul, but we're not definite on that. But notice what the writer here says in Hebrews 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, notice, in full assurance of faith. Full assurance, not just partial assurance, not just uh, maybe yes, maybe no assurance. He says in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now there's a lot there. Let's break it down a little bit. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, based on our assurance of salvation, he commands us. He doesn't just suggest that we draw near to God. He commands us to draw near to God, to be in relationship with him. And what does it mean to be in relationship with him? What does it mean to be in relationship with your mate? Well, it means that from the first thing in the morning, you greet, you greet her or him. You say, good morning, dear. You, some of you spend the whole day together. Some of you go off to work, come back home when work is, is finished, and you once again greet your mate. You communicate with them. You ask them, well, how did, how did your day go today? What happened? You know, uh, what are some of the things you're struggling with? What are some of the things you accomplished? Maybe you sit down and you watch TV together. Or you sit down and play a game together, play cards together, go out and work in the yard together. That's a relationship. You're spending time with each other. You're getting to know one another. You're serving one another. You're appreciating one another. That's what the author of Hebrews says when he says, draw near to God. Work on this relationship you have with him. Why wouldn't you love him? Why wouldn't you want to spend time with him? What he has done for you, he has saved you, okay, through his son, Jesus Christ. Why not draw near to God? Now, sometimes there are things that we think, at least in our mind, should keep us from God. Sin. Or maybe doing something where we know we've disappointed God or failing to do something like, well, it's been several days now, I haven't read my Bible, or maybe I slacked off going to church for a while. You know, when you mess up like that, you think, well, God doesn't want anything to do with me. And it, it tends to keep you away from God, at least in your own mind. But what the author of Hebrews is saying here is, don't let that happen in your life. And even if it should happen for a while, don't think that God is upset with you or he's disappointed with you or he'll have nothing to do with you. God isn't like that. God isn't human. He doesn't think like a human. He's not bothered by human nature. God loves us very much. So in the midst of trials and even temptations that we're facing in our lives, and with all the problems of the COVID virus, and everybody's down and discouraged and upset, and people have lost their jobs, and people have lost their friendships, and whatever the case may be, in spite of all of that, we're told to come closer to God, to move in, to draw near, to live a rich, God-accomplished relationship with Him. And yeah, the relationship we have with him is God accomplished. What do I mean by that? Well, it was only through his son Jesus Christ and his death on the cross that we could have a relationship with him. 
that we could even know him because we were lost in our sins before uh, Jesus came along to die for us. So why does God want us to draw near? Because he's the one who initiated the relationship through the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice what this passage says here that we just read, Hebrews 10, verse 19. It says, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. You know, we've told the story many times that when Jesus died on the cross, the scripture says that the curtain in the temple was torn in half. Now, what did that curtain in the temple do? Well, it kind of walled off a certain section of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And that's supposedly where God dwelt for ancient Israel in that room. And there was a big heavy curtain there that nobody could go through except the high priest. And that only one day out of the year, on the Day of Atonement, his job was to go through that curtain. And if anybody ever tried to enter that curtain, go through the curtain and enter that room, it would be instant death for them. Even the high priest, if he went in on the wrong day. So that curtain symbolized separation from God. Now, Scripture tells us that on the day Jesus died, when he died on the cross, that curtain miraculously, miraculously split from top to bottom. And that signified that because of Jesus' death, there is no longer any separation between man and God. Jesus, by his death, opened the way for man and woman to now have direct contact with God. And that's why it says here, a new, a new living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. So when Jesus' body was, was broken during his passion and crucifixion, that curtain opened up because the curtain represent, re represented Jesus' broken body, torn body. So because that happened, it was God who initiated the relationship that we can have with him. And it was through the blood of Jesus Christ we are now told to approach God. We're not just recommended that we do it. We're boldly told you've got to approach God. You've got to draw near to him because that's why he went through all the trouble of sending his son to this earth to die on our behalf, to open the way. Now, how crazy would it be for God having to done all that for us now not to approach him? That's crazy. But like I said, sometimes sin keeps us from wanting to approach God. We don't feel worthy. We don't feel that he'll accept us. But what scripture tells us here is in spite of sin, we are completely washed clean and forgiven. Notice he goes on to say here, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So yeah, formerly we wouldn't have been worthy to approach God, but by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, our hearts have been sprinkled. In fact, our whole body has been cleansed 
from sin. And even though we still do stumble and sin, we can approach God not having to worry about him rejecting us because we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ attributed to us, credited to us. We enter communion with God. We approach him not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus' righteousness that we now have. It's our sins are forgiven. Even our consciences shouldn't keep us from approaching God. You know, many people reject the gospel because they just can't believe that God would forgive their sin. And maybe some of us have felt the same way or had doubts in the same way. They know their sin and their guilt, and although they like the idea of a closer relationship with God, they wouldn't dare pursue it. After all, a person as messed up as, as they are isn't, it supposed to, isn't supposed to be close to God. Isn't there a scripture someplace that God can't be in the presence of sin? Yeah, that's in the Bible. But we've just been told that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our sins have been removed. We've been washed clean. So we can approach God. We should approach God. We must approach God. You know, they imagine God looking at them and frowning or crossing his arms or being annoyed at them or being angry with them or being fed up with their sins. How could they possibly draw near to God? Well, we just read the scripture. Because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf, we can approach God. We have the freedom to do that. And he loves us. He accepts us. He wants us to draw near to him, to be close to him. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we deserve punishment. But Jesus died in our place. He suffered the wrath of God for us. So the anger is gone. The punishment has been paid. There's no more condemnation. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I find that very encouraging. God wants us to be assured of our salvation and not to have any doubts. Turn with me to, to John chapter 5, verse 24. What about judgment? Isn't there a judgment coming? And, you know, a lot of people are worried about that and concerned about that. But if you're in Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and that he died on the cross to, to pay your, for your sins, if you have faith in that and believe in that, well, your final judgment has already taken place. It says in John 5, verse 24, again, this is Jesus speaking. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, the Father, has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. You know, there's a lot of people who are worried about their final judgment and how they're going to look when it comes time to face God, and they're not feeling great about it. But if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, your final judgment has already taken place. And you have been deemed worthy, not because of yourself or anything you've done. You have been deemed not guilty of every sin that you've ever committed because of Jesus Christ. So your final judgment has already taken place. You know, we had a sermon a couple of weeks ago where we talked about Jesus' death on the cross as a time of judgment. 
Yeah, once that event took place, anybody who now believes on it has been judged. Their judgment has already taken place. And that is very encouraging. Because I know I always used to worry about a final judgment. Yeah, everybody else is going to face a final judgment. They're going to have to answer for their sins. But if you're a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you've committed your life to him, you don't have any worry. You've already been judged. Let's go back here to Hebrews once again and read a little bit more of that passage. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. So he talked about how we've been sprinkled, how we've been cleansed with pure water. Verse 23 of Hebrews 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 21, Hebrews 10, verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. So who is this great priest, this high priest? Well, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our high priest. Now, back in ancient times in Israel, when the temple stood, there was always a high priest on duty. And the job of the high priest was to intercede for the people. See, the people couldn't approach God at that time. That curtain was there. They certainly didn't have any freedom to approach God directly. But the high priest did. So he kind of stood in between God and the people. So for centuries, there was a physical human being, a man who was a high priest to serve the people before God. Well, all through those centuries, those men were a type of the role that Jesus Christ would eventually fulfill. And that's what he fulfills for us. He is the high priest for us. And it, as it says here in Hebrews 7, let's turn a couple pages back to Hebrews 7, verse 24. One of the jobs of the high priest was also to pray for the people. And that's what Jesus does for us. It says in Hebrews 7, verse 24. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. That means to pray for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. So Jesus Christ not only has died for us to make the way, the path for us to get back to God the Father, but he also prays for us continually. He intercedes for us. So when the stresses of this world and the trials of our personal lives seem to extinguish our hope. We get depressed and we get discouraged. That's when Jesus is there to pray for us. 
and the trials and the stress of this life is not going to, to extinguish our hope because Jesus prays for us. They can't extinguish our hope. Jesus is helping us. And you know what? He helps us, especially when we need the help. He helps us every day in ways that we don't even understand. But when we're going through trials and we're going through difficulties in our life, he is especially praying for us. And it kind of boggles our mind to understand how Jesus can pray for a billion Christians at one time. But he's God. He is able to do that. He knows us individually. He knows us by name. He knows each of the situations we're dealing with in our life. He understands. And he prays to the Father on our behalf, on a continual basis. So what Jesus did for us didn't just happen outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross. His help for us continues on a daily basis. And we need to think about that and we need to realize that. When we're struggling, you know, when we sit down sometimes and we're just overwhelmed with the problems we're having in our lives, that's when we need to draw close to God. And we know that as we do that, Jesus is also praying for us. You know, his prayers are very powerful. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. So never doubt that God the Father doesn't hear Jesus. He's sitting at the Father's right hand. So Jesus, I'm sure, is pointing out to the Father what we're going through, what our needs are. You know, in spite of the sins that we're involved in, in spite of the difficulties that we have, and in spite of the fact that maybe we haven't been as close to God as we should have been, God is there to help. And through Jesus Christ, Jesus abolishes everything that could get in the way of a rich relationship between ourselves and God. He gave us a once-for-all sacrifice for sin, and he gives us never-ceasing prayer. So you know what? When you're struggling especially and when you're depressed and discouraged, you know, maybe next day you feel better, at least a little bit better. That's because Jesus has been praying for you. And maybe he's inspired other people to pray for you too. You know, when we recently went through our tragedy in December, a lot of people told us that they were praying for us. And we really appreciated that. And you know what? We felt it, too. Because the weight of the whole situation we went through seemed to have been lifted somewhat. And we appreciated the prayers of everybody who said that they were praying for us. And we know many were praying even behind the scenes without ever telling us about it. And we also knew that Jesus was praying for us. And you know what? That meant a lot. Because God never forsakes you. He never leaves you, ever, especially in time of trouble. Sometimes we feel that God is far away, or you know, God doesn't care, or God's not involved right now. But he is. He always is. So God wants us to have assurance as Christians. He doesn't want us to doubt. He doesn't want us to feel lost or cut off, even when we're going through periods of time where we're not as close to God as we should be. He doesn't want us to doubt. He wants us to be completely assured. You know, he wants us to feel more joy in this life than I think most of us are ever feeling. 
because it's so easy to get overwhelmed with this world and with our own shortcomings. But just keep that in mind. And we're gonna be singing a song here in just a couple minutes called Blessed Assurance. And I want you to think about the assurance that we should have and also think about what the author of Hebrews tells us, to draw near to God. He doesn't say, here's a suggestion or you know, give this a try. He says, draw near to God. Look what God has gone through to open that way for you. It costs the life of his son. So take advantage of it. Make it the most important thing in your life. Your ongoing relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Take advantage of it. And as you do that, it is going to provide assurance and confidence for you on a daily basis. So as we live in this world that continues to struggle, and even once this COVID thing is over, what's the next thing down the line that's going to come along? That's going to upset the economy, and it's going to change people's lives, and it's, it's going to cause people to lose their jobs, and it's going to, to cause disappointment and, and destruction and depression. Because I guarantee you, there's going to be more things coming down the line. Now is the time to act. Now is the time to draw near to God and to give thanks. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the words of encouragement today through Pastor Bill and through the sermon. You want us to be encouraged. We're living in difficult times. And it doesn't show signs of getting any better. We see a world spiraling out of control. And it's because these people are cut off from you. But Father, we thank you that you've provided a way for us to get back to you. It's through your son, Jesus Christ, and the death that he suffered. It took that to open the door, to open the pathway, to tear the curtain down. So we're no longer blocked from you because of our sins. But you've provided a remedy for our sins, and you long to have us in contact, in relationship with you. So, Father, help us here today, this group, to make that a priority in their lives. Through our personal study, through our prayer, through our worship of you, everything about us. Our relationship with you has to have our highest priority. And as we face things that are coming to this world in the years ahead and the months ahead, we're going to have the strength from you to be able to abide. So thank you, Father, for all you provide for us. We love you. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.